I hope I can steal a little summoning from you, Dave. Three balls, two strikes, the pitch. Swing and a long drive. Deep left The flags go up, churning and burning. They yearn for the cup. They deftly maneuver and muscle for rank. Few burning fast on an empty. Welcome to the Stats on Deck podcast, sponsored by StatsOnDeck.com, which you can go to right now and find some of your favorite articles and podcasts. That's right, Nick. Today we're going to be jumping into a couple different uh, topics. We've got the NBA schedule release. We found out what opening night's going to be about. Yep. We uh, are also going to be talking about football. Yeah. The pre- I'm sorry, I'm distracted. Aaron Rodgers has a mustache. <laughs> and that's the content I come here for. Absolutely. <laughs> the NFL preseason has kicked off, so we're a couple weeks away from the season getting underway. Yep. And then uh, we've just officially decided that baseball sucks. Baseball, not only is it a bad sport, but it's not fun to watch. No, it's not. It's a slow game. And it's, it's a little uh, long. It's long. We actually had an interesting conversation that we should shorten the games to seven innings. Well, yeah, let's, before we get into some NBA stuff, let's just rehash that conversation real quick because I think it is relevant. Um, one of our least favorite things about baseball is relief pitching. Right. And uh, you get guys like, you know, I love the guy, but Dave Roberts making pitching changes every pitcher for like the last seven outs of a game. And then you get, you know, the cut to commercial, a two-hour and 45-minute game suddenly becomes a three-and-a-half-hour game. Right. I don't have to tell you about long games. I mean, for God's sake, we get some games going four-plus hours of a nine-inning game, which, yes, we love baseball. Mm -hmm. But for the the average man out there who just wants to watch – or woman who wants to watch a baseball game, it's kind of ridiculous to ask them to sit there from 7 p.m. to 11.30 p.m., to watch a baseball game where their team might lose. Right. And that's kind of ridiculous. So our idea is kind of to take away the last two innings of the game. The game ends after seven innings. If you have to go an extra inning, so be it. You deal with that as it comes. But we feel like the majority of games aren't going to be affected by ending them after seven innings. No, we I agree with you. And the, the thing that it goes into is that the MLB... Having your games run four-plus hours, having an old manager trot out to the mound, deciding that he's going to play, you know, handedness and batters with pitchers and everything, you turn, like you said, a a two-and-a-half-hour, two-hour, 45-minute game into a three-hour and 45-minute game, and you had another hour on, and you've just been sitting there, and an inning-and-a-half has gone by. Right. I think the magic number for sports these days is kind of three hours. Anything less than that, people are happy to watch. Anything more than that, people are disappointed right um so if we can get these baseball games done in two and a half hours and just for example i'm gonna use my team because that's all that's coming to mind max scherzer goes six scoreless innings and then you bring in your closer and close out at the seventh inning everybody gains from that and nobody really loses from that the other thing too is the quality of play will go up right you have shorter innings you're gonna have pitchers go longer in games you don't need as big of a roster right right, right. and you're gonna have and 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 moments matter more early in games there's not gonna Absolutely. be any we'll wait you know till we get into their bullpen because they have a weak bullpen the other thing too that you know some people might be asking they're stuck in their ways is that Baseball's always been nine innings. That's the way it's been for 130 years. Right. If that's the case, then go live in a house without indoor plumbing. Right. Don't drive a car. Right. If that's, and just live in live in the 1910s. If that's your only argument against something is that it's it's always been done this way, right. chances are it's not correct. Right. Because baseball started, what, in the 1880s, 1890s, somewhere right. in that neighborhood? It's 2019. Right. We're playing the same game we've always played. Now, yes... We've raised and lowered the mound a few times. We've let guys use steroids, then we stop letting them use them. <laughs> That's uh, right. We've juiced the balls periodically. periodically Shouts out, Barry. Like, um, the Houston Astros World Series win was juice balls, and then we stopped juicing, and then we're like, hey, you know what's cool? Home runs. Let's juice them for all of 2019 again. That's why a lot of guys have like 40 home runs at this point in the season when they should have like 15 or 20. Yep. Um, I just think the seven-inning thing is uh, – it doesn't have to be – we don't have to go in there and say, okay, starting in 2020, it's seven innings officially. But it's it's something worth talking about because um, Manfred, the commissioner, Rob Manfred, is trying all these stupid things to shorten the game, like limiting the number of um, 
mound visits. Um, he's. I think they're trying to implement something where a pitcher has to pitch a full inning when he right. comes in out of the bullpen. That's going to be implemented in the MLB next year. And it's like these are kind of band-aids. And well, they're not fixing the real problem. And you know what? For baseball purists like ourselves, we don't mind a three-and-a-half-hour game or no. a four-hour game. But for, for people who are actually going to determine whether this sport succeeds or not, the time length of the game matters. And so why don't we do something radical but something that could be really good for the sport? Right, because you're not changing any of the rules, right? Right. You're, you're, you're merely taking two, in, you're taking two innings off of the game. Yes, it'll change some of the game plan and how you, how you approach things. Right. It'll affect roster sizes. But what you're doing is you're making the sport right more tolerable for people that are wish-wash on if they're going to watch a baseball right. game. It's more reasonable now. If you're sitting there watching, let's just say you're a Cleveland Indians fan and your team hasn't won a World Series in 40-plus years, uh, you're probably locked in. Yep. You're waiting for that World Series. No you're question. waiting, and you've got a good team this year. Okay, Corey Kluber, who's been hurt all year, you know, you get him back healthy. He goes six innings, and then you bring in, um, what's his name, Brad Hand to close the game out. You're feeling a lot more confident about that than saying, okay, Corey Kluber came off the DL. He went five and a third. Now I need three and two-thirds inning to get through the game. Right. That's a lot of time, and that's a lot of time to let the game fall out of you. And, yes, we do like lead changes. We like games that are exciting. Like, we don't want a team the, – the most exciting game is not a uh, game where a team is winning 2 nothing in the first inning, and that's the score for the entire game. Correct. But, it, it, like you said, it would put a, a little wrinkle into the game where, you know what? The Braves get out to a 4 nothing start after two innings. That matters a lot more with only – you know, five innings left to go. Yeah, the quality of the game rises, right? Because now your pit, your starting pitchers, your best pitchers, can right. go longer in the game. Yeah, bats matter more, right? right. And, and, then, and and the best players, because yeah. you're gonna have to shorten rosters. You won't need as big of a bullpen. You won't need right. as many bench players, right? The players well, will. Be- at, yeah, if we look across baseball and you look at sort of the top teams in baseball right now, the Dodgers. Uh, the Twins, the Yankees, the Indians, the Astros. A lot of these teams do have good bullpens. But what we're really saying when we say that is they have good closers. Right. And you look at the Dodgers. They have Kenley Jansen, who has been shaky at times. Mm-hmm. But he has proven himself over his career to be a, a dominant closer. But the problem for them is how do I get from Clayton Kershaw or Walker Bueller to Kenley Jansen? Right. Or even you look at the, the Yankees, or as we like to say. The Junkies. The Junkies. Um. They get Masahiro Tanaka gives up like four runs in five innings and they have to piece together the last four innings. It kind of takes the burden off of that into where you have, instead of having a seven or eight man bullpen with a bunch of guys who suck, you have like a three or four man bullpen with and every guy is like a good is a good pitcher. And yeah, it might price out some of the guys like my favorite guy, Matt Grace on the Nationals, or um I think is it Heath Hembry or Tyler Thornburg, whichever guy on the Red Sox Hector sucks. Velasquez. Hector It'll Vel- take out the middle relief guys These completely. guys are either going to have to figure out, get your get your stuff together and be yep. a good pitcher or turn into a starting pitcher. The other thing, too, is that it's it's going to minimize injuries. You're going to still have a 162-game season, but there right. are going to be less innings. The quality of the players, yes. the quality of, of injury prevention is going, is going to get better. And right. you're going to have better players on the field, better players coming out of the bullpen. The whole game is going to rise, and it's not three hours and 45 minutes. Right, and so we're sitting there and we're going, okay, so the Yankees-Twins game started at 8 p.m., it's over by 10.30, and then I can get another game in. And then as a baseball fan, maybe if I'm a casual fan, I'm sitting there and going, you know what? I will watch four hours of back-to-back baseball with two different games because I actually had an enjoyment level there, and the game didn't drag as much as it does. Right. There's not there's not these crazy amount of pitching changes. It goes right. seven innings. Like you said, the the quality of the play will go up. The 100%. bullpen will be better. And and you will you will attract casual fans because it'll be like the double header on like Tuesdays yeah. and Thursdays for the NBA where you go I'm gonna watch the full seven o'clock yeah. game and then I'm gonna watch half of the te- of the ten o'clock game yeah. and then go to bed and I'm actually gonna enjoy it and it'll also put a premium on when you have pitchers who are really good starting pitchers where if I'm sitting there and I'm talking about Max Scherzer uh, this year Lucas Giolito Jose Barrios. Um, guys of that nature, you're going to look forward to their games way much more because if we're talking about Max Scherzer going, let's say it's a it's a uh, rubber match against the Braves, it's Max Scherzer versus um, 
Julio Tehran or whoever it is, you're sitting there talking about this. The both of these guys have the ability to go the full game, mm-hmm. and I'm just gonna watch good pitching. Yeah, the one of the things that would be interesting to see is that you would have these bullpens consist of like let's just take the Yankees for instance, right? Is you would basically have guys coming out where you'd have let's let's just say Pedro Severino has a good day and pitches five and two thirds, right. right? Then you go get an you go get an, an inning from one of your from Dylan Betances or uh I'm forgetting some of these guys' names. Araldus Chapman. Well, well you have um, Araldus come in and close Zach it. Britton. You'd have guys Zach, like that. Zach Britton come in and he's got his inning and then yeah. you go right to Chapman. It also kind of um we're talking about teams like the Rays who popularized this opener idea. Um it kind of puts a, a a little bit more pressure on teams to figure that out because let's be honest, how many teams have a true five man rotation of starting pitchers where you're like this guy can go six or seven plus innings every single night? Almost no team has that. It usually ends with Brian Johnson <laughs> yeah. or or you know or Joe Austin, Ross, yeah, uh, Austin Voth, some guys like that. Even like the teams we're talking about, like the Nationals, the Dodgers, the Braves, the Yankees. These teams are not the Yankees, excuse me, the Astros, <laughs> with teams with like really good starting pitching. Um, usually they only go four deep at most. So it, it might force baseball teams to kind of fix themselves into where, you know what? I'm going to have Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin, and Anibal Sanchez as my four man. And I'm going to go with a bullpen day the other day and figure it out that way. I mean, it just opens up the game a little bit more where. We don't have to sit here and go, we're doing things the same way we've done them for so many years. Right. So, so before um, before we get off track here, let's talk about some NBA stuff. Absolutely. And the NBA schedule just came out, and uh, I got bad news for Wizards fans. You're not <laughs> going to be on national TV very often. And uh, I don't think any of us care. No. What we really want to see are teams like the Lakers, the Clippers, the Warriors, the Pelicans... The Celtics, the 76ers, the Bucks, teams like that. We want to see the good teams play. And um, one thing that's really awesome, I think, is that they're going to um, push back the time a little bit of the games and make games start closer to 7 and 7.30 p.m. on the East Coast. So we can actually stay up. If you're, if you're a person on the East Coast who has to work at 6 in the morning, you can actually reasonably watch some West Coast games this season. Oh, yeah, no question. So opening night, yeah, we've got Zion's introduction in the NBA, which I'm sure a lot of people will be tuning in. I am for. ready for that one. Going up against the reigning NBA champions minus Kawhi Leonard. Right now, just getting into a little bit of gameplay here for a second. Yeah, I have a legitimate feel that Zion Williamson and the Pelicans can win this game and start their year off. Hundred percent. Yeah, Kawhi made that team. Now, there's no question. Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry. You've got our favorite player, um, Fred Van Vliet. Yes. Right? Freddie. Freddie Freddy Fresh. <laughs> Freddie Van Three. Playing. Um, I, I, I am so but, interested to see how the Pelicans come out. Right. I'm interested about... Before we go into the Pelicans a little bit, I just want to say, I don't think the Raptors are going to fall out of the playoff race no. without Kawhi. They have Kyle Lowry, who, let's admit it, both of us don't really like him, but he is an all-star caliber point guard. Um, you have Pascal Siakam, who showed flashes of being an all-NBA caliber player. Mm-hmm. You have Marc Gasol in a contract year. Um, you have Serge Ibaka, who at times was their second-best player in that playoff run. And that, yeah, you know, we can get caught up in playoff stuff, but guess what? The guys who play well in the playoffs are usually good players. That's true. So um, I, don't think, I don't think they're a top-three seed anymore, but I think they are definitely a playoff team in the East. I agree. They're definitely a playoff team, no question. Uh, the, East, the East is obviously a little bit weaker it's than the West. It is top-heavy, but I, I have no doubt that they'll be able to make a four-through-six seed. For sure. And, and, and to give somebody a run for their money in the first round. Absolutely. I mean, if we're talking about, like— um, I think we're on the same page here. The Bucks, the 76ers, the Celtics, and honestly, that might be it, are like the the teams that you would expect to have home court, one yes. of the top four seeds. Correct. And then uh, the Nets with Kyrie but no KD. I could see them having a four or a five seed, even a three seed. Um, you look at teams like the Magic, the Heat, um, those are teams that don't now have a chance to legitimately they, make like a... They, like, you could see the Heat getting the four seed. 
It's oh, not yeah. unreasonable because no. they have Jimmy Butler. They have some good players around him. Yep. Um, the Magic, they re-signed Nikola Vucevic. Uh, it's not like the best constructed team, but um, you know, let's be honest. Only four teams were able to beat the Raptors one time in the playoffs, and right. they were one of them. So let's not overrate that, but let's not underrate that. I think it's a it's an interesting Eastern Conference where – we see the 76ers and Bucks kind of distancing themselves as the top two contenders. But it would not shock me to see somebody like Boston or Brooklyn in the mix come the time of the second round of the playoffs. No, I completely agree with you. The The East will be interesting because there's no clear... Like, obviously the Bucks, the, the top three heavy. Right. But it's going to be really interesting to see how, like, the four through eight right. shakes out. And, uh, and that's another the appeal. thing, before we talk about that, the Bucks. Um, Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Greek freak, he won the NBA MVP and he absolutely deserved it. But we saw how far a team with him as their best player can get. They got two wins into the Eastern Conference Finals, and then the pro- you know the issues that he has as a player started to magnify. And the guys on his team, like Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, Eric Bledsoe, guys like that, were not able to vault them to that championship level. So while I do think the Greek Freak can carry a team to a championship, I have to wonder if a team can come in there like Philadelphia who can throw all those big bodies at him, is he going to be able to shoot enough to actually be an NBA Finals-level player? Yeah. And it's scary because when I think about the Greek Freak, I think a lot about younger LeBron, like pre-Miami Heat LeBron. It's a dominant figure. It's a dominant figure who couldn't really shoot – but was so impactful on the game that he did drag his team to the finals in one year. But we saw what happened that year. I think it was 2007. Yeah, it, um, it wears on you. It wears on you. And, and at a certain point, one team in there, whether it's the Warriors, the Clippers, the Lakers, somebody in the East like the Celtics or the 76ers, somebody will figure it out how to not let this guy beat them over a seven-game series. So I have to question... Is Giannis ready to shoot his way into a finals championship? Well, here's the thing that gives me hope about that. A lot of NBA players have a ton of distractions, obligations, things around them, right? They're, True. Either they're too big of a star. So like LeBron's making Space Jam. LeBron's <laughs> making Space Jam. Steph Curry's in China every Kevin offseason. Kevin Durant and Kyrie are investing in stuff. And right. Their, their minds are also... Yeah. Giannis is in a gym somewhere with two basketball hoops, right? From... Right. 5.30 in the morning till 8 o'clock at yeah. night, constantly perfecting his craft. Right. And That's he is true. working on every weakness, every move, everything right. he can do. His entire mindset, from everything I understand, is he eats, lives, and breathes basketball. Yeah. I did like what he said in the MVP speech when, let's be honest, we awarded him, or not us, but the Sports Writers of America awarded him the MVP award, which is saying you were the best player in this regular season. Right. And he said, that's not enough for me. And, well, and I really like that because I compare that to a guy like, not to pick on him, but James Harden, a guy who is kind of content being winning an MVP or two here or there and being so great in the regular season but not ever finding that postseason success that we kind of want from him. To, to Giannis, it's not enough to just be good in the regular season. He's young, but he wants to win a championship. There's a hunger and there's a drive, and he has eliminated all other distractions. His his yeah. number one love, his number one mindset is completely basketball driven, and and that although that can hinder you as an overall right. person, that's his that's his goal. Well, I mean, if we're talking about guys in history who were like that, we're talking about Bill Russell, Michael. We're Jordan. talking about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, Larry, Michael Bird. Jordan, Larry Bird. Um, I said Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, yep. LeBron James. You can question LeBron uh, if you're kind of an asshole and you want to say, oh, he's only won a certain amount of finals that he's been in. But there's no question LeBron has the drive to win a championship. And I think if I'm looking at the young stars in this league that have that same hunger and that same dedication to making themselves better, Giannis is probably the guy. Yeah, I agree. I, I couldn't I couldn't say more about that. Um so early predictions, yes. right? You've got let's let's go into the Pelicans a little bit before we do sure. that. I love the Pelicans. Uh, you, this is this Duke's is a team out. that's created for you. I this is like I love. when we found out Zion was probably going to New Orleans, we were kind of wishy washy on it. I was, but they've made moves since then to completely satisfy the Jake Adams portfolio, which is have guys from Duke on the team. 
you have basically taken the team with now acquiring my my personal hero, my yes. favorite player in the NBA, just personally, not the greatest, J.J. Redick, yes. right? Signing with the Pelicans, playing with Brandon Ingram, yep. who went to Duke. Also a Duke graduate. Zion Williamson. <laughs> Those are That's three for three right there. Those I, are three amazing Duke players. You have me You have me at J.J. Redick. <laughs> I mean, what, what more do you have to say? J.J. Redick, uh, champion, hero, three-point sniper. Three-point god. <laughs> Who's better at shooting threes in the NBA besides Steph Curry and maybe Klay Thompson? I'd like to make the argument J.J. Redick. Who's played longer? Who's been healthy over their career? Never missed the playoffs either in his entire not career. Not a one time. Not bro. one time. i got to tell you, I don't think it's going to happen this He's year. He's not a loser. <laughs> hot take. Hot take. The Pelicans are sneaking in with the eighth seed. Well, let's wonder. Let's, let's talk about this real quick. Just like a surface level thing. We're not going to get into any deep statistics because sure. this is more of a casual um, opinion about the NBA when we're still, you know, two months out from it starting. Sure. The Clippers, the Lakers, the Rockets, the Jazz are should be in contention for the top four seeds. Yep. Then you have teams like the Warriors, uh, the Mavericks. Um, who, who am I missing here? Yeah. Um, let's just say this. The Phoenix Suns and the Memphis Grizzlies are not going to contend for a playoff spot. Right. Besides that, there's 13 teams and eight of them are going to make it. It's and the open. Pelicans are definitely in the mix for one of those lower seeds. I'd even make the argument I could see them as high as the sixth seed if everything goes according to plan. Things have to go really well. Zion's got to win Rookie right. of the Year and be healthy all year. Right. You've got to have J.J. Reddick be able to, can, be, to be the veteran right. presence and, and, lead, and right. lead the which team. Which he's done which, successfully. Which he can do. You have to have um, Randy Ingram have his best year. And it's his contract year, too. And not to say he's one of those contract year guys, but... Brandon Ingram knows if he wants to get paid the max, he's got to show up this year for the full year. So that's a part of it. Um, there is a path where this young team just catches lightning right. and, and runs into a 7-6 seed in, in there. I'm not saying they're going to go very far no. in the playoffs, but I will tell you the Pelicans are going to be fun to watch this year, and they don't have Anthony Davis. Right, and here's the thing I think about the Pelicans. We spend hours talking about Zion compared to LeBron in 03. Correct. And you and I were seven years old, so it's not like we were part of the conversation back then. But we can respect that LeBron was the most hyped-up prospect in NBA history. Yep. And LeBron didn't make it his first year, and he made it every year since then until last year. Um, so you might say, well, if LeBron couldn't do it in year one as the guy, how can Zion do it? Well, here's the thing. Zion has a really good team around him. Right. LeBron had nobody. He had lint from somebody's pocket. Right. He, he, it was LeBron who was barely 18 years old and some spare parts, and right. he almost made the playoffs. So I would say it's not unreasonable to think Zion Williamson could be in the playoffs in year one. No, I don't either. Um, so just early prediction based off yeah. that, opening night – Everybody's hyped up. Zion's introduction to the NBA. Right. Who's winning that Toronto? The reigning champions, who's winning that Toronto? Let, me, let me set this for you. This is a fake thing I'm making up. I'm not looking at anything online. Sure. I give you Toronto Raptors minus three and a half. What are you betting? I'm, I'm taking the Pelicans. You're taking plus three and a half, I'm taking right? plus three and a half, and I'm having fun while You're having it. fun, and you're thinking there's no way the Pelicans lose by more than three, right? No, I'm. what I'm thinking is it's going to be a game, and I'm and I'm waiting for – let's put it this way. Zion is going to be so out of his mind yeah. because he's like, holy, holy shit, this is the NBA. I've been waiting for this my whole yeah. life. You're going to have you're gonna have J.J. Wright banging threes. Brandon yep. Ingram's posting a 20-5 and five yep. game. Right, and that's not underrated too. They also have Josh Hart off the bench, and I love. Josh I'm not Hart. saying Josh Hart is ever gonna even sniff an All Star game, but Josh Hart is a legitimate three and D kind of player, and he's young. And we may want to sit there when he was on the Lakers and go, "This guy's no good. He's never gonna make it." This guy is a legitimate player. Like, um, I'm a Wizards fan, as as the stats on deck audience knows. When we're talking about Bradley Beal hypothetical trades before this summer. I was comfortable in getting some package of Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart coming back to the Wizards. Like, those are good players. Yep. The the other thing, too, and we shouldn't sleep on this, I mean, you've got Drew Holiday, who's a, who's a calming present veteran guard, right, who can play. He's an all-star level point guard. An underrated pick that I that I think could be really good for them in stretch of the season, as long as his workload doesn't go too high, is Derek Favors. Derek True. Favors can guard his position, <laughs> and he can he can hit some shots, and he can hit some shots. Yeah. This is um the Pelicans as Bill Derek Simmons. Derek Favors, were, uh, sorry to interrupt you. Fine. Derek Favors is one of those guys that like super casual fans will never know his name. 
And that's no offense to them, but there's no reason for them to know. But anybody who even looks at, like, some box scores or something sees Derek Favors and they're like, this guy is actually a good player. Why does nobody talk about him? Right. Derek Favors is a is a competent four four man on a team. And not to – and I'll steal this from Bill Simmons. The absolute – the Pelicans could absolutely be the pinnacle league pass team right. this year. Oh, they're going to be so fun to watch. And um, – we didn't see a lot of Zion in summer summer league. I no. think he went down in his first game and didn't play again. I don't give no sorry for the cursing. I don't give two shits about summer league. No, what I care about is actual basketball. Yep. And everything I've ever seen from Zion is that he's just a magnet on the basketball court. He, is. he loves playing. He loves watching it, and he's going to succeed. Even if his career ends up being similar to Blake Griffin who, by the way, has made a lot of all-star teams and all-NBA teams and finished third in the NBA voting at one point. If his career just reaches Blake Griffin level, we should be happy. But but we're talking about a guy who could really be the face of the league for the next 10 years. No question. And this is year one. And, yeah, you know, there are concerns. Like, yes, he he weighs a lot. And he's he's probably going to have to either cut down some of the weight or figure that out. He is a little undersized to be a forward. But... We're talking about a guy who who came in to Duke not as the number one player and after one year in college vaulted so high that he was the unquestionable number one pick in the NBA draft. No, there's no question. And and for those that are questioning the weight and all these, I hear those things. Right. There are some people in this world that are just built like a brick shit house. Right. And like that are just that are just absolutely like just like, when you touch them, it's just a steel plate of, right. like, a, just a steel cinder block. That's why I don't like the, you know, so he did tear up a shoe and miss some games. In he tear up a shoe because he's uh, that powerful. We, we talked about this multiple times. We did. Um, that's not an injury concern. That was a freak accident. Do better, Nike. Do Nike, it's your fault. Zion is out here trying to dunk on some fools. Please, please allow him to do so. Please allow America to witness that. I mean, the world. America's going out here telling CBS, we want a Zion cam. That's not in college. That's in life. We want a Zion cam when he's eating cereal. I want to see Zion eating some stuff on the bayou with some nice women. Right. I just, I want, more than anything, I want Zion to be happy. I want Zion to, to go through his first few years of his career, make some playoff games, have some moments, and sit there at the end of four years and be like, you know what? I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad that I was able to succeed in the NBA so far. Because I think this guy has a legitimate chance to kind of, I don't want to rehash it, but kind of be the face of the league and kind of run the league for the next 10 years. He certainly has the ability. And the now, other- there are guys, there's Giannis, there's James Harden, there's Anthony Davis. There are guys right now that are, you know, the top guys in the league that are young and still have a lot to do. Zion could be better than all of them. We just don't know it yet. I cannot wait for all the things to come out with him, like, you know, him playing with the small forward, power yeah. forward position. People being like, well, he can't guard, like, a center or anything like that. And then he posts up against, like, Nikola Vucevic, yeah. the Joker, you know, Anthony Davis, all those things. And he's just throwing back, like, yeah. layup attempts. And he's blocking balls at the top of the backboard. <laughs> I mean... We all saw it, and this is just one instance, but um, if you didn't see it, go search for it online. The the shot where Zion goes from the other side of the court to block a guy in the oh, DeAndre like, Hunter in the corner in the span UVA. of like point zero zero one seconds. If you're telling me this guy's not going to succeed at some level in the NBA, then you're just a liar and you're a hater. Well, you're you know you're you're a fraud. You you're, you're a liar. You're doing fraudulent things, and you should probably be investigated by the SEC. <laughs> you should you should not have a Twitter account. You should not have an opinion, and you should right. go away. So, so that's that's Zion. I think we're all so excited to just see like this is a number one pick, but this is like I think if you redrafted the last five years, this is the number one pick. I mean, this is a no guy question. who who doesn't come around very often and. Even if he does have some deficiencies in his game, he is going to succeed in some way almost immediately, I would think. Give me October 22nd right now. Right now. Today. Give me it right now. One other game I want to talk about, and this is more... We don't want to overreact on one game, like... I might have to. People like people have to realize, like, there's 82 games in an NBA slate, and then you play in the playoffs. Like, this isn't football. We We don't go crazy over one game, but... Lakers Clippers. 
I'm proud of the NBA for getting it right. The NBA, you did a good job. I Lakers, love staying Clippers, up. Just to, just to summarize, the Lakers added LeBron James last summer and then traded for Anthony Davis. And then the Clippers signed Kawhi Leonard and traded for Paul George this summer. It's going to be a battle for Staples Center pretty much immediately. I cannot wait. I, can, I, I cannot wait yes. for, for October 22nd at 10.30 at night because I'm telling you this right now. Is it even 10? I think it's 10. Oh, is it 10 o'clock? Did they move it up they, to 10? They might have moved it to they 10. Might, I, that might be speculation, but... But I cannot, I cannot wait because what we are about to get, right, yes. is it's opening night. Everybody's excited. Yeah. That. You're going to be getting LeBron James fully rested, yeah. no playoffs for the first time. In, well, he in, hasn't played a game since April, right? Right, he hasn't played a game since April. You're going to get fully rested LeBron playing yeah. with Anthony Davis, squaring off against Kawhi Leonard, who arguably is probably, as of right now, the best player probably, in yeah. the league, right? And Paul George. Just going, just going 2v2 with supporting cast right. all and night. One thing I've seen all summer is kind of underrating the Lakers roster around LeBron James and going, oh, the Clippers have, you know, Patrick Beverly and Lou, Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell and, like, they're going to run train on the league. And I saw something, not the most reliable source, but Gilbert Arenas is saying, like, if you think LeBron's not going to win a a, sh- a bunch of games with Anthony Davis, you're out of your fucking mind. Right, you're crazy. And uh, sorry for cursing, but no, no, um, that's the truth. It's the truth. Le- it's LeBron with his best teammate since Dwayne Wade in two thousand and ten. Um, we're gonna see some peak LeBron moments this year where he goes off on the league one last time. And having said that, one last time, the guy's only thirty five. He's got, at minimum, three more years of being a productive player in the NBA. Not only productive, I think he has at least one to two more years of just being peak LeBron. Just, like, like MVP LeBron. We have not in the league seen somebody right. Right, reach the levels that LeBron has reached in the last two right. years in this stage of his career. I'm telling you this right now. If, if anybody is out there saying LeBron James... Right. right, is is in the is is on the decline last stages of his career. I I would I would urge you and I would impart to you to have an open mind season yes. because you are about to see a renaissance. Right, and not to not to you know disrespect one of my favorite people, which is Bill Simmons, but uh, he's very wishy washy on whether LeBron can keep it up, and I understand that. You know, Bill is the basketball historian. Um, this has never been done before, a guy being at this level, at this age, for so many years, with so many miles on his career. LeBron James last year put up, what, 27, 8, and 8, yep. something like that, with a bad groin that was injured and caused him to miss part of the, season. of the season. And we're talking about in 2018, right? He was the best player in a game in the NBA Finals. No question. I don't think that just goes away. No, it doesn't. It just doesn't immediately just snap you don't your just and turn go. a year and oh, it's gone. Like right. this guy is legit, and Anthony Davis add that to it, it's gonna be ridiculous. I mean, there are a lot of good teams this year. If I had to think about teams, I could think really can contend for an NBA championship this year: the Lakers, the Clippers, the Warriors, the Rockets, the Nuggets, the Jazz. And then going over to the East, probably the 76ers, Bucks, and maybe even Celtics, because we always talk about one move away. If they trade for Blake Griffin and Kevin Love, Bradley Beal, somebody like that, they're not too far away from contending. This is going to be an absolute ride of an NBA season, and I can't wait because I can't remember it being this open and this exciting night tonight. Because, yeah, you know what? Last season was a really great season, and there was a lot of cool stuff happening. But at the end of the day, we knew the Warriors were going to be in the finals. And if Kevin Durant didn't get hurt, they probably win that finals. But this year, I can tell you straight up right now to your face, I have no clue who's going to win the NBA championship. And that's that's the best thing to hear because we have been begging for five straight years for oh, there to be This is all parody. we talk about. We've been, it, it's a broken record with stats on deck yeah. and for the conversations that we've had. It's, we, we've been talking about this, let's be honest, since like 2015 together. So it, it's nothing new here. We wanted parody. When we met in college, this was one of our bonding moments. Yeah. This was like, can we please just have an NBA? Can we right. live in an NBA world where we don't know what the finals matchup is? Not to get too personal. We go to Schaefer, yeah. eat lunch together, and be like, you know what sucks about the NBA <laughs> is that there's no parody. 
And then here we are five years later. Finally. And finally, we might have a good NBA season from the first day to the last day. I'm, I'm, I'm legitimately looking forward to watching, honestly, 20-something teams yeah. in the NBA play every night. And, and legitimately being interested on a, on a Monday night. And the best part is, Nick, we don't have any more players only. No. That's gone. Players only, baby. We have... We, the Stats on Deck podcast did not endorse players only. We, no, that was we did not sponsor players only, and nor would we ever. The Stats on Deck podcast, Nick and I are happy to report, and, and if, you, if you don't know, that the players only Tuesday night fiasco has finally come to the end. It was a sham. It was fraudulent. Yep. It was disappointing. Yep. And more so than anything, I think, it was disgusting. I have I have listened to Joe Buck call a World Series game yes. and been almost obligated to mute the to mute the TV. Sure, I have muted the TV several times <laughs> on an NHL playoff game. Yes, to not hear Pierre Pierre McGuire. Yes, or the other guy's name that is escaping me at this present I moment. I can't think of it, but it's okay. Pierre, do better at your job. That's, Please. That's the takeaway. I have from the muted episode. several NBA, NHL playoff games yes. to not hear it. Players only? Yes. I see that it's on the schedule. Yeah. I, I have I have muted it 30 minutes before. I don't even want to it hear the It makes you not to wa- not want to watch it. The, it makes you sit there and go, you know what? It's Tuesday night and it's 8 p.m. I should be watching basketball. Maybe there's something on TV. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to watch Succession. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue on my Breaking Bad third yeah. time through. That by the way, I'm I'm going to watch that again soon. Um, so we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, this is a spoiler warning. Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Let's go. We saw it like two weeks ago, something like we that. We saw it opening two, night. Three, yeah, we saw it opening night. Um, spoiler alert: We loved it, and uh, we're gonna come back and talk for a couple minutes about it. If you have not seen it yet, stop. Turn here. off the podcast yeah. now. Thank you for listening. If you have seen it, or if you don't care. Keep listening. We're going to talk. We'll be right back after this break. We are back, and we're talking Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's ninth film. If you Supposedly not, his last. Uh, second to last. Supposedly the penultimate Quentin movie. Right. If you have not seen it yet, please, 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 please turn off the podcast And go now. see the movie. And go see it because it's great. We saw it opening night uh, in a great movie theater. And um, I think I speak for both of us when I say the reaction after we saw that was, holy crap, that was a great movie. It was It was everything I wanted it to be yeah. and more. It, I... I'm a little biased because I love Quentin Tarantino. Leonardo DiCaprio is my favorite actor. We both love the shit out of Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt has right? never missed in our eyes. And this is a movie, right, about the changing of the guard in yeah. in culture, right, of a time frame that neither of us lived in, but right. I was very interested. I've been very interested. In. Sure. It's about making movies, and it's about changing careers and phasing in and yeah. out. And this movie hits on every single note. One credit I have to give is to Bill Simmons and Sean Fennessy. They were talking about the juxtaposition of Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio's characters on the way out, on the downswing of their career. Like, Leonardo has to go to Italy to make three shitty movies. Right. And Brad Pitt is getting fired, basically. And you you turn that on its head and you say, look at Sharon Tate. She just broke in with her first real movie, and she's on the upswing. So I really like that aspect of the movie is you don't – because let's be honest. We have Brad Pitt and Leo in their older years heading towards that old man phase of their career where it is – it resonates with the audience when Leonardo DiCaprio is like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And you're like, you know what? That makes sense to me because I've seen that from him. Right. The one of the things that I love is that you have two crazy stars. Like when they come onto the screen, you're like, "That's Leonardo DiCaprio and that's yeah, Brad Pitt." Those are two of the best stars in Hollywood. How, unless this in 2019, unless this is a superhero movie, right? Yeah. How do you make this work, right? right. Somebody's going to overshadow somebody. Somebody's going to steal time from another, or it's just not going to blend, right? Right. What? But what happened is right. 
is how they how Tarantino sequenced the movie, right? Yeah. Both of those stars, right, get their time. Right. They get without their own, the other one present. They get their own space to work. And and the character relationship that you have basically is Leonardo DiCaprio as the fading star, right? And Brad Pitt, right, who was who in this movie was his stuntman, his shadow, basically, yeah, 100%. right, one hundred percent was his was basically his his caretaker in a lot of instances, right? He did all of the hard work for DiCaprio yeah. throughout his career. What you basically have is this movie of of a relationship between these two, where both are focal points, yeah, and neither one of them takes away from the other at any point. There's nobody right. trying to one point. up each other. That's a good point. It is really two guys who are the lead actor in a movie. Right. And it's not... I mean, we can talk about earlier Quentin Tarantino movies like um, in Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained. Christoph Waltz was undoubtedly a supporting actor. Right. He was not the main actor in that movie. But in this movie, it really is two guys who are playing the lead role. And like you said, they don't step on each other's toes. They have their own space to work. And they do a really phenomenal job. Each one gives the other, and this is hard to do because even when you're acting in a movie, you have your lines and stuff, but there is still a way to act beyond the script right. that takes away from the other, and you can kind of steal the spotlight in certain points. True. You never get that feel, not once in this movie, and it, and it's neither one trying to be better or trying to work harder than the other. It's it's everybody has their parts, yeah. right? And they they have they have they're they have their moments and they're willing to they're willing to step back right which is right. hard to do when you're brad pitt and leonardo dicaprio right. and give the other one the space the other thing that i love right is you have all of these like very meta you know like you talked about like leonardo dicaprio and brad pitt who are aging right, right. They're and they're the playing the these characters that are that are at basically the end of their main you know peak run right versus sharon tate played by margot robbie the one thing I want to get into, because there's been a lot of criticism about Margot Robbie, and well, not Margot Robbie, but Tarantino's use of her right. as Sharon Tate, is the lack of dialogue and all of these True. things. True. If that is your complaint, you are missing the entire. Right. You are missing the entire point of I, this of this film. I think when we came out of the movie, at least for me, the idea wasn't that Margot didn't get enough to do. It was that with what she had, she knocked it out of the park, and. I didn't need 15 more minutes of her in that movie. I got exactly what I needed. Well, she plays the part perfectly and it's written perfectly because you're the central point, right, of this entire movie is you're phasing out of you're phasing out of like the glory days of Hollywood right. into this new age hippie centric new wave type of type True. of Hollywood, right? And these two older guys, yeah. Brad Pitt's character and Leonardo DiCaprio's character are phasing out while Margot Robbie playing Sharon Tate yeah. is coming in. Right. And she and and Margot Robbie as she played Sharon Tate in the way that the character is written is she is she is on the upswing. She is a yeah. she is a star. She in can the do movie. no wrong basically. She can do no wrong. And the whole point of her is is to have her in the movie and, and for the limited time that she's in there, is she supposed to be this like perfect up and coming like to relate to sports like this perfect up and coming prospect like a right. pitcher that gets three starts at the end of the year but he's fantastic and you just have this awesome right. idea of what he, that person absolutely can be. it's almost like and you know you can call this a cop out if you want but this is like it's almost more important what sharon tate's character will go on to do after this movie right. than what she did in this movie because guess what you know, spoiler alert, at the end of the movie, she doesn't die. Right. And so Sharon Tate could go on to have a 15-year career as a leading actress and be the number one actress in the business through, like, 1980. And and we can think about that and sit there and say, you know what? I didn't need to see Margot Robbie going balls to the wall for 15 straight minutes because I can imagine what her character would do after not dying at the end of the movie. If we fill in all of the holes in this movie and we give Margot Robbie and Sharon Tate 30 more minutes in this movie, there's not anything left to the imagination right. of what... It, it It almost becomes tainted in a way of your perception of what she could be because you're left in this movie thinking she's going to be a star. Right. She's going to be the Meryl Streep of her era. Pretty you much, yeah. She, like, you see her in the movie theater, right, watching herself on yeah. screen, right, and people are laughing, people are into her, and you have this idea that for the next however long, she's going to be fantastic in the juxtaposition, 
right, of having these two guys phasing out of Hollywood. Yeah. And if you fill in all the holes of what she would, if what she's gonna be, then there's nothing left to the imagination. Right. And another thing I like is, um, we get to the end of the movie there, and Leonardo DiCaprio's character Rick Dalton is kind of pretty much out of work in some ways. Like, not to say he'll never get another job in Hollywood, but his time as a leading man is basically over. But one thing he talks about in the movie is like, um, you know, Roman Polanski, whether we're not going to get into his character in this, we're just talking about the character in this movie. He's the up and coming director. He's giving people chances. He's vaulting Sharon Tate's career. Right. Rick Dalton is like, if I can just get a meeting with this a pool guy, party if, right I can, next if I can hang out with this guy for 45 minutes, I might be able to resurrect my career. Right. And one thing I liked at the end of the movie is Sharon Tate's almost surpassed Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt's characters and where she's the the person in charge and she's like, you can come over to my house and hang out and I have the power to decide if you can continue your career or not. And so that was one thing I really liked about the ending of the movie. Besides all the other things I liked about it, um, Rick Dalton kind of getting another chance to resurrect his career and be like, you know what? I had this TV show early in my career. I did some spot stuff. I went and did my spaghetti westerns to make some money. And here I am now. And I can actually have a second half of my career as a guy who's in charge in Hollywood. And so that was one thing I really liked. And I didn't feel at any point that Margot Robbie's character, Sharon Tate, wasn't like one of the main players in the game. She was present throughout the entire film and at the end of the movie when you get there and Rick Dalton gets a meeting with her pretty much, it's really important. It's 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 one of the most sentimental parts of the film and one of the things I was gonna ask you is you've seen you've seen all of the Tarantino films like I have. Do you feel like this is Tarantino's most sentimental film? Because I do. I feel like this is um this is a moment where younger Tarantino, say in the the Kill Bill to Inglorious Bastards region, where the temptation is there for him to have Sharon Tate be murdered at some point during the film, and then have Rick Dalton, um, I'm forgetting the name of Brad Pitt's character, and uh, a couple of guys like that go and murder the entire Manson family and have a giant gore fest right. as the ending of the movie and be like, there. Sharon Tate died, but I took care of it. I had everybody die at the end. Right, I did and my it, revisionist right. history in that way. And instead, he resisted that urge, and he's like, what if I, I save Sharon Tate's life, and instead have an ending where the Manson family gets a, you know, an injury, kind of, but I don't completely take them out, because he did that in Glorious Bastards. He had Brad Pitt and uh, the other character um, absolutely murder the Adolf Hitler party at the I mean, movie theater. Well, they shot 55. <laughs> Ellie Roth and company I mean, shot 50 right. rounds. That movie Hitler came run. out in what, 2009-ish? Right, 2008, 2009. Um, that, that's the, you know, the peak Tarantino who's sitting there and Tarantino who's sitting there and saying, you know what, I'm going to reverse history so much that I'm going to have guys murder Adolf Hitler with machine guns. Right. And then he resists that temptation. He's like, you know what, I'm going to ground this a little bit more in reality but also kind of instead of having Sharon Tate brutally murdered, I'm going to resist the temptation to do that and be kind of more, like you said, sentimental and be like, you know what? Let's imagine a world where Sharon Tate doesn't get murdered. Isn't that a better world we could have lived in? And I kind of really liked that from, uh, from Quentin Tarantino in this movie compared to... And again, I love many of his movies, but I really like that idea that He's kind of sitting there going, "Why does Sharon Tate have to die? Well, it's, what do I? What can I do to save her in this it, movie?" It's almost a love note to to her in that era, and, yeah. it, and in my opinion, it's his most sentimental film because, like you said, he resists he resists a lot of the Tarantino, you know, known things where there's going to be. Oh yeah, you a go lot in there, and you expect Sharon Tate's going to get brutally that, murdered. That's that's the whole point. And if you don't know anything about the spoilers of this movie, you're ready for that at the end of. This I was movie. waiting for that the entire time. Right. So was I. But the the point the point of this is is that Tarantino did the revisionist history in Inglorious Bastards and he's doing it now and he's and he's creating this world right where this is this is almost his love note and this is how he would have liked to have seen all of these things yeah. like the up and coming Sharon Tate star right 
Rick Dalton getting another chance. I mean, of all of the endings of this movie, this is by far the the nicest and happiest right. that he's ever gone. I would say you do not expect such a kind of happy ending to a Tarantino film. No. And it's not happy because people die and there are problems and you know, you have different circumstances and different things working against each other, but for a Quentin Tarantino film, this is about as happy as you're going to get for an ending. No, no, no question for him absolutely. So for you, what is after seeing this movie, yeah. what is the scene or the sequence in your opinion that stands out the most? Like what is the moment right. for you that you were like, "Oh my god, this movie." I have two. I know it's okay. a it's a bad answer, but no, I have no. two. My first answer is Leonardo DiCaprio in the trailer oh. after he messes up it, and um He's talking about how many whiskey sours he had and why he's not acting the way he should. Um, to me, that won him the Oscar right then and there. I, I don't. We both th- said it in the moment. I don't think he could have done better um, in that moment. My other one would be just thinking about as I as I um, I've only seen this once, but as I think about the movie, the Brad Pitt and uh, Bruce Lee scene. Oh, yeah. Um, Just thinking about all the things that go into that, like Brad Pitt, apparently his character. Why can't I think of his name? Uh, Cliff Booth. Cliff Booth. Cliff. Thinking about how Cliff supposedly killed his wife, but we don't get any confirmation about that. And um, there are people in the movie who don't want to hire him because of that, but they do it anyway. And he goes up there and he's imagining the sequence of what happened when he saw Bruce Lee in that scene. And it's not an accurate thing of what happened in that timeline, but it's Brad Pitt's character's version. It's just so many great things are going on in that scene that I, I can't stop thinking about that. No, I, I agree. What, so what about you? What, if you had to pick one scene, what is it? Well, the DiCaprio trailer scene, we both said it. We both turned yeah. to each other right after it finished, and we said that's the Oscar right there. Right. There's no question. And, and it truly is. The, the other scene that stands out to me is – well, there's two – the when Brad Pitt's character when Cliff Booth goes to visit Bruce Dern at the ranch well that's just perfection that that stretch is fantastic the other one that I have and it's arguably it's in one of the slower parts of the movie but it it, this is what I'm saying it's truly sentimental from Tarantino is you get Sharon Tate going to the theater and watching herself on screen and being a part of this up and coming career and having people enjoy her in the movie right. and and feeling the audience's reaction in person to her acting on stage is phenomenal. The all, all the things that you get there. The other one of the other scenes that I love selfishly because just being a film nerd is Quentin Tarantino inserted Leonardo DiCaprio into The Great Escape. Right. That's which, just ridiculous. In, in the scene in the film which is just like you you're like turning to the people you're in the movie with and you're like, is this happening right now? <laughs> like, Leonardo DiCaprio... Am I saying this for real? Leonardo DiCaprio is stealing one of Steve McQueen's greatest movies of all time, one of the greatest acting performances <laughs> of all time, and it's Leonardo DiCaprio inserted into the greatest game right. doing lines to the movie. And for me personally, yeah. it's just, it's it's like pinnacle movie making. I'm like, this is this is incredible. It doesn't get better than that. This movie is about filmmaking. It it they're they're doing their whole bits on spaghetti western. Yeah. Western TV shows that people will forget the next week after, and you're inserting one of the greatest actors of our generation right. into one of the greatest movies of all time. Right. I mean, it just doesn't get any better. And it's than seamless that. too. It's there's, no. There's no. Um, it there's, didn't feel corny. There's no questions about it. You just see that, and you're like, "Yep, that's part of the movie. That makes sense." It's 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 unbelievable. The 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 final thing I will say is there's something very gratifying about watching members of the Manson family yes. just get completely manhandled by <laughs> well, a stuntman I, tripping on acid. My, my friend in there and his dog killed the first two, and uh, I torched the last one. <laughs> you did what? I used a flamethrower and I uh, killed the last one. <laughs> oh, from from Fourteenth Fence movie. Yeah, you were in. yeah. You have that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I. No, I tore shit. I will say the way Leo plays that last um, 15 minutes of the movie is um, pretty much perfect. It's unbelievable. And um, I would not be shocked if he wins Best Actor for that award. I think Brad Pitt should be in the conversation as well. Margot Robbie was great. Um, there were a, great, a lot of spot performances. Like Al Pacino was in it for a minute. Kurt yep. Russell was in it for a minute. 
Uh, Abigail Breslin was in it for a brief period of time. But uh, even um, Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman's daughter was in it for about two and a half minutes. Yep. But um, everybody in that movie was coming, and, and the little girl too, I don't know her name, but... She was fantastic. Uh, she, like, everybody in that movie, it, and it's a testament to Quentin Tarantino as a director, because let's be honest, this guy was a film, uh, a movie... Buff. A mm-hmm. movie buff who worked at a video store, Yep. and he's coming in here directing some great actors and some unknown actors and turning in great performance after great performance... I think it's a testament of how good he is as a director, how he understands what he's written, how to get it onto the screen, and how to interact with different levels of actors. No question. So I, I, I really did love the movie, and I know you did too. My question is, apparently Quentin's working on a Star Trek film, and that's separate from his... That's not one hit, of the ten. Hit one of his ten. Which one are you more excited for? The Star Trek Quentin Tarantino movie... Or the the supposedly final Tarantino film. Definitely the final Tarantino I film. Think so I think the 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 Star Trek movie is for him, that's and gonna, he gets to have that's going to be fun. Right, he's going to have a blast. But we're talking about the last movie in a guy's career when he's been throwing a hundred and five for the no past question. fifteen years. The one, the last thing I want to say is, and this was brought up on the Ringer. I don't. This is not an independent thought on my own. I just want right. I just want to bring this up because I found this so interesting. Is the way that they conduct the final act in the film where the Manson family comes into Rick Dalton's house instead of Sharon Tate's right. and you have the whole fight between Rick I mean between uh Cliff Booth Cliff Booth and the Manson family, how perfect is that for the stuntman to leading man right. relationship that oh, they it's have? So good. No, I just want to talk like the idea that basically Cliff Booth as a stuntman does all the hard work, yeah. basically manhandles three of them, has his yeah. dog, who by the way steals the inca- show. Yeah, he, he and his dog incapacitate three of them. And, and then Rick and, Dalton comes in for the star yeah. like close up. Rick comes in for the climax and he's like, I torched the last one. Well, she was already incapacitated. She was going to die. You didn't have to do anything, but uh, and he comes you got in to with show off with your flamethrower. Like to have him put that into the actual script of the movie to show that relationship. Right. It's just, it's so intelligent. It's so smart and it works so well in his movie. Yeah. I, that's, that's the level of filmmaking that yeah. he's on versus everybody else. I think, um... I loved the Hateful Eight. I thought yep. it was an absolutely showstopper of a western, but there were some things about it where I was kind of like, I don't know if um, if Quentin's really ready to to bridge the gap into other genres anymore. I think he's found his his lane with Django and Hateful Eight, karate, he, and he wants and, I to mean, do kind of food martial type arts stuff. and yep. um, westerns, and he doesn't really want to go into places he's been before or places he's never been that once upon a time in hollywood has made me excited for his next film because i have no clue what he's going to do right he could go anywhere he could go he could do a space movie he could do a time travel movie he could do another movie like a contemporary film like pulp fiction or reservoir dogs i have no clue what it's going to be but i'm darn sure excited for it i, I can't wait leonardo dicaprio the wait for two and a half years since yeah. the revenant was worth it uh leo brad pitt is sensational. When was the last time Leo didn't put up best actor level quality work? I honestly can't think of it. Don't ask me that because I'm biased. I mean, it, it's I'm, th- I'm thinking of this run he's on from, um, you get Wolf of Wall Street, The Revenant, Django, and Django, and Once Upon a Time. This is this is like LeBron from 2010 to 2014. This is this level. And this is spanning all the way into the early 90s with What's Eating Gilbert Gray. Right. By the way, which he deserved an Oscar for. Best Supporting Actor. Best Supporting Actor. Should have been his first, and it was a shame at that time. It's a shame 30 years later. Blood Diamond, The Depatted. The Depatted. Favorite. One of can, my favorite. Can we have time. multiple actors win Best Actor for that one? Because and as far as I can tell, no other movies came out that year. It was just Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, and Jack Nicholson, and that's final. And that's it. There doesn't need to be more. So um, that's going to wrap up our discussion on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We also talked some NBA, some MLB. We didn't get into any football, but, uh, you know, that's your problem. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you guys for listening so much to Stats on Deck. Uh, we're going to try to, you know, keep the episodes coming, keep the content coming. Um, I'm Nick Laporte, and I was joined by Jake Adams. You can find me at 
Nick Laporte with a zero instead of an O on Twitter. You can find Jake at State Farm with fours instead of A's. It's a good Twitter account. I think it's you can also good. follow us at Stats on Deck Pod on Twitter. Yep. You can find us on StatsOnDeck.com. Uh, we do some written content there too. It's also um, if you've been frustrated with having to navigate to the blog website, uh, pretty soon we're gonna centralize it into one official website. And that's going to be fun. Um, so just keep your eye out for more Stats on Deck content. Once again, I'm Nick Laporte, joined by Jake Adams. Thank you so much for listening. Jake. Boo, baby. Yo, small.